Welcome to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your hosts, Sam Ostry and Ben Dixon. We got a lot to get to. We're going to dive all into that SMU game where Maryland came out in a narrow victory. And then Big Ten play starts this weekend against Michigan. So we're going to give a full preview of that. First, Ben, how are you? Doing great, Sam. Ready to recap this SMU victory. A great game it was. And look ahead to conference play. Going to be a tough test this Saturday. Yeah, so let's start with that SMU game. Maryland wins 34-27. to They were down uh, early in the game. They only scored three points in the, in the first quarter, but then kind of picked it up a little bit as the game went on. It was expected to be a high-scoring affair. It was relatively high-scoring, but I think people might have thought it would be even more high-scoring. I mean, the over-under for that game, according to DraftKings, was listed at, at 73 by kickoff. So, um, you know, it wasn't as high-scoring maybe as, as people thought. Let's, there's so many places to go with that game because there was a lot that happened. We'll talk about the penalties. We'll talk about uh, the offense and the running game. Um, I think we should start with the defense, which we usually don't do. But the defense bailed out the offense in that game. And when you look at the numbers, it may not look like it. I mean, Maryland, I mean, excuse me, SMU had 520 total yards of offense, 369 passing yards, and Rasheed Rice, which is SMU's top receiver, maybe one of the best receivers in the entire country, had 11 for catches for 193 yards, so they could not contain him. But overall, they got timely stops. They had two interceptions, one fumble. Um, t- just They did a really good job of, of coming up big when they needed to in the fourth quarter in the second half. They gave up zero points in the fourth quarter, only seven in the entire second half. What impressed you most about Maryland's defense? I think it's exactly as you said. I think timeliness and clutch are the two words that I would use to describe how Maryland's defense kind of willed it to victory against SMU, only allowing seven second-half points. Incredibly enough, you know, given this offense that SMU had. A few plays stand out to me. I think the first drive of the game, Gavin Gibson, the freshman, coming in to start for Tar still, really set the tone on fourth and short inside the 10, dragging the receiver out of bounds, potentially saving a touchdown on the next play or, or, or a couple plays later. Um, obviously, you know, Tanner Mordecai's fumble deep in the red zone and then both takeaways as well. The interception by Bo Brade and an interception by Dante Trader Jr. You can't say the defense was locked down because like you said, Sam, over 500 yards. I mean, SMU ran 96 plays. That's, that's kind of asinine to give up. It's also, you know, part of your offense and, and the game plan when you're getting outplayed 96 plays to 61, but we'll get into that a little bit, uh, in a second, but I think timely is definitely the word to describe it. Maryland's defense, as we saw, is just playmakers making plays when it mattered most. Rasheed Rice dominated, like you said, not only one of the best receivers in the country, literally the statistical number one receiver in the country right now at 491 receiving yards. Um, So I I think the defense, I don't want to say they did all they could to contain him, but I mean, they sent so many different guys on him. There were flags, there were, he was mossing people. It was unbelievable. It was one of the best wide receiver performances I've seen in person from a college receiver. But that aside, um, I think just the timeliness and the magnitude of the good defensive plays that Maryland made really stood out to me. Yeah, and look, it's a bend, don't break defense. I mean, it's not necessarily the strength of the team. And, and you have to give credit to SMU because that's a really good offense and they're going to prove that the rest of the way as they did in their first two matchups too. But when they get in the conference play, they're going to prove they're a really good offense. So you have to give them some credit. But it's a bend-don't-break defense. So that's what you want from your defense. You're going to give up points. You're going to give up a lot of yards. But can you win the turnover battle, which they did? And can you make the timely stops necessary, which they did late in that game on that fourth and nine? Uh, Yeah, Rasheed Rice had been everywhere. Tanner Mordecai looked for him. But there was Bo Brady, who had been phenomenal all game. And let's talk about him for a second. Uh, He had 15 total tackles. 
uh, an interception and a fumble and two pass breakups. He was phenomenal. He was all over the field. Dante Trader was great too in that secondary. And really the, the entire secondary just stepped up and, and did a good job of, of, again, making these timely stops. They gave up a lot of yards to Rasheed Rice, but when they needed to most, they created turnovers. Right. You talk about Bo. I mean, the football team on Twitter posted yesterday. Um, he was the first Big Ten player since at least 1998. So it could be even further than that. I guess that's how far the tracking data goes. 15 total tackles, one interception, one forced fumble. It, it was really his best young career game, as, you know, Emmett Siegel, our, our other football beat writer, asked about uh to Loxley post game Saturday, it was it was really a breakout game for him and one they needed. When you look at the safety group between Bo and, and Dante Trader, they kind of developed a little bit last year, sitting behind uh, Jordan Mosley and Nick Cross, guys that started pretty much every game for three years straight. And now that, that they had that time to learn, we're kind of seeing against a really really good offense in SMU, like you said, Stan. Don't want to discredit them. I'd actually want to credit what they did, and that's a team that's going to win a lot of games and going to score a lot of points this season. This safety group you know, really came into its own on Saturday against SMU. And it was really impressive, not only Bo, but, but Dante Trader as well. Coming up with those clutch takeaways, the timeliness of them to seal the game, to stop big time drives. It, it was really impressive. And I'm, I'm blown away by both their performances personally. Yeah, and like, that's that's the exact way to put it. Like it was incredibly impressive. And you, you talked about it. They didn't they got opportunities last season, but they didn't play a whole lot. And but they were groomed. And, and when their opportunity was called, there was a lot of buzz around them in the offseason. These might be two guys that you got to keep your eye on. There was a lot of buzz about them, even though they weren't the most experienced necessarily. And and when they have an opportunity, they've proved that that, that they're making the most of it. And that's a good safety group. Um, in terms of getting to the quarterback, they didn't do a great job. Tanner Mordecai had a lot of time in the pocket to make to throw the ball and make plays. Probably why he had so many yards. But I do want to talk about Jay Sean Barham, the freshman who had 12 tackles, six of his own, and contributed to a sack yesterday. He he really proved himself. Loxie talked about uh, how he had a really stupid penalty, and so he was pulled for a while for that. Um, but that's going to happen. He's, he's a freshman. He's a young player. And then penalties weren't just his problem. They were the entire team's problem, which we'll get to. But in ter- just in terms of his impact, he's really made an impact in just a few games here as a, as a freshman. And overall, the, the, the pass rush, uh, like what were your impressions of the pass rush? Because they had they certainly made plays at times, but at the same time, they for the second straight game, they didn't do a great job of getting to the quarterback or really pushing back that pocket. Right. I mean, I want to start with, with Barham here, like you mentioned, uh, 12 tackles uh, against SMU is the most that a Maryland true freshman had since Dequell Jackson had on August 31st, 2002 versus Notre Dame. Shout out the game notes for that one. But 20, it's it was it was a great performance by him other than getting taken out for that penalty. He's really, you know, proved he can make an impact as a freshman right away. It's been really impressive, but what he can do, but transitioning to the pass rush, it's a bit of a concern, Sam, one sack against Charlotte, only two sacks for 15 yards against SMU. It's going to come a time where the secondary just isn't going to be able to hold up and make these timely plays. The the secondary did bail out the pass rush Saturday. I want to make that clear. It's hard when you're only rushing three guys as well, which, you know, might not be the defensive line's fault to only send three guys to the quarterback on on numerous plays, sometimes third and long. It's not befuddling, but, but sometimes it's, it's a little confusing because it puts a lot of pressure on your secondary, especially with Tar Heap still, you know, laboring the safeties being a young group. It's, it's an interesting call scheme wise, 
Um, but however, the, the pass rush does need to improve bottom line, whether you're rushing three or you're rushing five or six or seven guys to the quarterback. Um, you got to get more than two sacks a game or it's going to hurt your secondary. Yeah, especially as, as they get into Big Ten play here starting this week. Um, they're going to face some dynamic offenses and, and dynamic quarterbacks. And look, J.J. McCarthy's look just like that. And we'll talk about the whole the whole Michigan team later. But you really got to do a better job of putting pressure on the quarterback. Because, yeah, the, the secondary is the, the strength of the defense. But to make it easier on them, you need to put pressure on the quarterbacks. When these guys have all day back there in the pocket, you can only guard for so long. And that's how some of these guys get open, which we saw with Rasheed Rice a lot. <clears throat> but all right, let's move into the, the offensive side of the ball. Um, and, you know, we're not going to start with Talia here. We're not going to start with any of the wide receivers or the tight ends, as we talk about. When you're talking about the offense, you got and this SMU performance, you got to talk about Roman Hemby, who was just phenomenal in every facet of the game, the running game, the receiving game, the blocking game. He was the offensive MVP of this game. He had 16 attempts rushing for 151 yards and also had four catches for 62 yards. And everyone after the game talked about how he did a great job in the blocking game as well. I mean, he's emerged as as maybe not. It shouldn't be a surprise. It's probably not to a lot of people in the building, but a lot of people from the outside. He's been the surprise star for this team, and, and he's made an impact everywhere. It's amazing. Loxley called him Mr. Consistency before week one. He's really proven that on the field in real big time game action. The pass block he had when Tugavello threw to wide open Jarrett for a touchdown against SMU. You know, the pass game, he's proved he can help as, as a pass catcher. And of course, a, as a running back, really just a north to south downhill runner who, who's really electric when he gets into open space. It's, it's speed versus speed, and he's hard to catch uh, when it comes down to that. Um, really excited to see what, what he's been doing um, a little bit selfishly, just because I'll have a, a story coming out on the site uh, about him and kind of his, his upbringing and, and his values tomorrow um, or, or the next day, which should, should be interesting to read there. But um, it, it's impressive, not only him leading the running game, you look at Antoine Littleton who provides a really good element in terms of being a goal line, third down short distance back, but he's also faster than, than you might think by looking at him too. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if, if, if Ramon Brown, the, the true freshman, or Colvin McDonald get involved either. I know McDonald had, had a big fumble against SMU around midfield. But it will be very interesting to see, you know, how this running back group progresses. But like you said, Sam, Roman Hemby, he's emerging to a star in Maryland's backfield. Yeah, and like Maryland has a reliable running game. I mean, we can talk about this now, I guess. When, when you look at the numbers, Maryland's rushing attack. For the first time I can remember in a long time, probably since Talia's been there, Maryland's rushing attack led the way over its passing attack. They had 225 yards running the ball and 214 yards passing the ball. And some of that was Talia. He had 51 yards rushing as well. But they ran more uh, running plays than they did passing plays too. So like, like this running attack, when you can rely on that and then take some of the pressure off the passing game, but you know you still have great weapons on the outside, you have a great quarterback, um, you have an offensive line that, that is pretty good in pass protection. When, when you see that, it, it just like it really like we keep saying the sky's the limit for the offense and they haven't put it together a complete performance necessarily. I mean, you could say Charlotte, but obviously it's a, a very weak team that they went against. But they the, if they can put it together when they can rely on this running game the way they have been and the passing game at the same time. I mean, it's it's really a special group and it's it's a surprise and certainly a delight for everyone around Maryland that they have this reliable of a running game. Right, and I asked Rakim Jarrett about it yesterday, how the run game can kind of open up the pass game for not only Tugavello, but for these receivers. He says, you know, they get a lot of 
you know, zone looks. It's not necessarily man all the time. And it, it, it makes it hard as a receiving room to really explode when you don't have any running game at all. So when a guy like Roman Hemby can get going really early in the game and set the tone, something that he mentioned he takes pride in doing, it really just opens up all elements of the offense around them. And we really haven't seen that complete performance yet where both are clicking at the same time. And I, I do think it's coming soon, though. It, it, we've seen both at different points, and we've seen how one can affect the other. So as a Maryland, as Maryland fans, you got to hope that happens eventually uh, and hope it happens sooner rather than later, which I honestly think it will. Yeah, it, it should. Um, but certainly, like like we've said, it's it's nice that Maryland has a reliable running running room, running back room as a whole, but also Roman Hemby, who should be around for a few years and, and probably starred and make a lot of noise uh, in his time in Maryland. But all right, let's get to the passing game and Talia. Uh, he was 17 for 23, 214 yards. He had a good game. Um, nothing special out of him. Didn't have any major mistakes. Uh, he, but he had, a, he had a good overall game. His receiving core, not so much. The, the receiver with the most catches was Rakim Jarrett for only two receptions, 65 yards. Uh, Jashawn Jones, not have a great game. He had two unsportsmanlike penalties. Um, that, that were kind of costly. So he didn't, I don't, maybe he was benched a little bit after that, but he didn't have a very game, good game. Dante Demas has yet to come onto the scene, really, which makes you believe that maybe he's not 100% in some facet. He only had one catch for five yards, and he dropped a pretty routine catch, yeah. I would say, um, on the sideline that we've seen him make. We've seen Saleh make that throw to him, and we've seen him catch that ball a lot of times, but. It was an uncharacteristic drop for him, so he hasn't really come onto the scene yet. But we can talk about the tight end room because Corey Deitches, um, he he's you know you don't talk about the tight end rooms a lot, the tight end room a lot since Chig left because obviously Chig was Talia's guy last year. But Corey Deitches has proved that he's going to make a huge impact this season. He had six catches for thirty-two yards and a touchdown, and it was a, it was a fourth down situation uh, where it was I believe it was a fourth and nine. And Talia threw like an eight-yard pass or so, and and uh, Deitches was being tackled, and he had to really work for that extra yard to pick up that first down on the fourth down, and he did it. He he like trucked through the defender, and he did it. So he's been a reliable guy for Talia. But overall, like passing game, Talia, tight ends, what were your takeaways? I think, yeah, we got to talk about the tight ends, especially Corey Deitches, who was just so clutch and, and important in Saturday's win over SMU. The fourth down play was unbelievable. It looked like he was going to get stopped two yards short, and he just literally carried men on his back for like two yards to get the first down. And then, obviously, the the goal line play, where it was kind of a broken play, like you said, and, and Talia kind of just got out of the pocket and flung it to him, caught it with kind of one hand and, and ran into the end zone as well. He's been really important. Um, I think we'll see C.J. Dippery get involved at some point as well. Uh, the coaching staff always raves about him. Talia always raves about him. Um, more of a, a a blocker than a catcher compared to Digest, but I think he's you'll see him get involved at some point. In terms of the receiving room, like you said, Sam, definitely it's it's a little strange. It it still is, you know, the talent of what we expect this room to look like, uh, but it, we haven't really seen it consistently. It's been one guy one game, one guy for another, and then SMU was kind of like no one really exploded. Rakim had that long touchdown, but that was his first touch of the game, and he only had two receptions. Uh, really haven't seen Dante Dimas break out yet, like you said. Um, wonder if it's a health thing, maybe a mental thing. Who knows? Um, but you, you expect him to get going soon, just given you know his pedigree and what we've seen him do at Maryland. And and that's what that's what we, we kind of talked about is when you have such a dynamic receiving room, 
you know, one guy can have a great game or maybe two guys can have a great game and two, those two other guys may not because maybe they're getting more of the attention that game and you ha- and it's nice when you have that wealth of receivers. But you really like it really hasn't been like Jacob Copeland was was pretty much non existent. He only had one catch too. Like Dante Demas, like if you if like if you think about this past game, and certainly it was not the expectation going in. Everyone thought it was gonna be a really high scoring affair, but Rakim Jarrett uh, Jacob Copeland, Dante Demas, Jashawn Jones, obviously known as the big four of that receiving core. Um, they had five total catches between the four of them. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. But if it does, it's going to be really hard to win football games, especially in the Big Ten. Uh, like that, that's shocking. It, it is. It is shocking. And it's it's a little bit disappointing as well. I, there's it, It's tough to really put your finger on because you've seen the best of all these guys this season, kind of with the exception of, of Demas. And of course we've seen the best of Demas plenty of times throughout his Maryland career. It's part of, I mean, you still have to believe that you're going to see it all come together. There's no reason why it shouldn't. Talia has chemistry with all these guys and Talia has looked good for the most part this year. Um, could happen this weekend. Uh, it could happen later in big 10 play. It's going to happen though. The, the, the receiving core is way too talented for you know Talia to not have a game like he had against Charlotte and and break out and throw the ball to Kim, throw the ball to Deitch, or excuse me, throw the ball to Copeland, throw the ball to Demas, throw the ball to Jones, kind of get them all involved in the same game. I think the quarterbacks too good in the receiving room is too talented for this all not to come together and kind of see an explosion where each guy contributes with multiple receptions per game. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I, I like I don't think it's something to overreact to. No, I of think course they're... not. I think it could be a product of the running game was really working. And, you know, there's going to be times where that happens, especially in the fourth quarter when you kind of take a lead. You're going, you're going to want to kill clock with that run game. But there's going to be times where if you have a good ru- rushing attack, and Talia did a great job rushing as well, like you might not need to rely on the passing game. Like 214 yards throwing for Talia is, it's not, you can't say it's bad at all, but for Talia's standard and what we've seen he's capable of, um, especially against an SMU defense where you score 34 points, like before the game, if you told me that Maryland scored 34 points and won the game, I would say Talia threw for like 320 plus yards. Um, obviously, that was not the case. And, you know, we don't know exactly what it is with the wide receiver game, wide receiver group. I don't think it's something to be worried about at all. I think you're going to see at least a couple of the guys step up big in, in a huge way in the next couple of uh, um, next couple of weeks here. But we'll see. And also, another thing was. Um, they were, it was getting chippy out there. Like where Kim Jerry was telling oh, yeah. us yesterday that that Loxley pulled him and Dante aside at one point and like threatened to bench them if they kept talking to SMU. And and then they said they shut up because they don't want to get benched. But they threatened they uh, Loxley threatened to do that if they're going to keep talking. So it was a chippy game. You know there was a lot of talking, a lot of penalties, um, a lot of penalties that killed drives, which could which could could have contributed to it. But I don't think it's something to really be worried about. No, definitely not at all. I, th- I think the one thing you do have to worry about, though, is the penalties, which I, yep, I know we're going to get exactly where we're going. Kind of just led into it, but it was it was bad against SMU, and it's 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 been bad all season. But it was they would have lost the game because of the penalties. Let's yeah, be so okay. they, so they let me just let me set this. So let me set the scene. So let's go there. Let me set the scene before we get into penalties. The thing everyone was talking about after the game. The thing Loxley. Knew everyone was going to be talking about it. He even opened it up. But yeah, asked me questions about the penalties. like Because it's a huge problem. Maryland had 15 penalties for 141 yards against SMU. Um, Dante Trader yesterday was saying it's like we're playing against two teams out there because of how, much, how many yards we're giving up um, with penalties. 
That's 31 now on the year. They had 16 coming into that game. So that's 31 on the year in three games. It's just like, there's nothing else to say about it other than it can't happen. And there's so many times it's a false start that they were in third and third and short situation, false start. Now it's third and seven. They were in a fourth and one situation, false start. Now it's fourth and six. You got to pump the ball. And there was unsportsmanlike conducts that, um, that happened. There was one that apparently that brought back a touchdown, which I believe Deshaun Jones scored, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like it was there's so many situations where they're costly, costly penalties. Some of it's competitive penalties. Some of it's strictly just discipline. It's just, it's, it's a problem and it's been a problem for a long time. I remind everyone all the time. They were second in the big 10 and most committed penalties last season. So it's not going away. It's not going away anytime soon. And if, no. if they commit 15 against any other team, they will lose. I can guarantee you that if they commit even 10 against the top caliber opponent, um, Against this weekend, they'll lose by 40 if they do that. Right. I mean, I was going to say, we can agree that Maryland and SMU were, were pretty even teams talent-wise and, and you know, having explosive offenses in that sense. The fact that Maryland gave up 15 penalties, and not even including the ones that were offset, you know, Jay Sean Barham and the unsportsmanlike conduct, I think there were one or two others too. And they still won the game. Like, it, it was it was unbelievable to kind of look back on and think that. But like you said, Sam, if you do that at Michigan, you're going to get destroyed. Like this team, it, it's I understand, you know, the comments yesterday and, and Loxley, you know, motivating his team, showing him the film, showing him what people are saying about the penalties, as he should. I mean, that's his job as, as a head coach and, and a leader of young men. And maybe he got the point across where these non-competitive penalties aren't happening in big situations. It can't happen, you know, against Michigan. It, it shouldn't happen for the rest of Big Ten play. And and. Hopefully for Maryland fans, that's not the case. Um, but but it was disappointing to see against SMU. I mean, the whole press box was kind of just like in, in awe at some of the penalties that were happening. Just like again, like yeah, yeah. It was. It, it's tough to say. It's hard to be. It's it'll be hard to be that undisciplined again against another team. But even um, even like five less, like double digit penalties is way too many. Eight is way so too many. many. Um, and, and teams know that now, and teams will try to exploit that. They're going to try to talk talk a lot of trash to these to uh, to these teams or to to Maryland players because they're, they're going to know. Oh, you, maybe you can get in their head. You can get some penalties. I mean, that'll be team things that teams other teams discuss because they know they're they know they're playing them. They're saying this is an, an undisciplined uh, group. And you know, Loxley Loxley said it starts with me, and and he and he said he's. Like, I'm the one that needs to be accountable. I need to get this fixed. Um, and yeah, you're right. He did show. He told us that he showed the film. Um, and then a lot of a lot of things that people were saying. Say it again. Yes, you have did. Yeah, I asked him. I asked him about the penalties, and he said, "Do you have kids?" And then he, obviously, I do not. But he proceeded to <laughs> he proceeded <laughs> to say to give the analogy. It's like your kids. Like you can groom your kids. You can um, you can teach your kids all the right principles, all the right things. And then when you send them out there. They're still going to make mistakes. And, you know, he is right about that in that regard. Um, but at the same time, it's like all college football players um, are kids. And and so that's the same for everyone. And for whatever reason, going back to last year, Maryland commits more penalties than other teams. And I'm not really exactly sure why, given the experience. I don't really think anyone has an answer. Given right. the experience and, and veteran, like the, that offensive line is a veteran group. I mean, there's not a lot of excuses for them to continue to commit penalties. Um, so I don't really, I don't think anyone necessarily has an answer. 
you know, I do think they get the message. Obviously, the players respect Loxley a lot and they think very highly of him and they want to play for the coach. Dante Trader even said when they show him that it was like, it's like Loxley's taking the blame for this. Like he, he's not the one doing it. Like, like we need to correct this for him, which just, is which is great to hear. Um, And so, like, obviously, maybe this is working. Maybe it'll work. We'll, we'll find out against Michigan, but there's nothing else to say other than if they continue to get penalized like they do, they're going to have a really tough way the rest of the year, especially against some of the best teams in the Big Ten. Right. I mean, I was just about to say, Loxley, of course, understands that it's a problem. He knows the perception on the problem. And it's it's got to be frustrating as a head coach because he's not the guy out there on the offensive line. It, it, it's, it's, it happens to Maryland for whatever reason. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they can clean it up. Um, but yeah, it, it's not something that they're shying away from by any means. No, no. He, and he, he's talked about it last year all the time when there was a bunch of games where they were penalized a lot. And he talked about how it's something you need to get cleaned up. And I, like uh, him and Dante Trader talked about how you punish them. You know, if they commit a penalty, they're getting off the field. Um, you can threaten to bench them. But I'm talking about in practice, like they'll be off the field for extended amount of plays. Um, you know, those are probably the right things to do i don't like i don't have an answer like <laughs> i don't know if anyone has an answer but for what, whatever reason it needs to be cleaned up because you cannot give a hundred up 141 yards of penalties it just it can't happen undoubtedly all right um so, i mean that's that's some you game we will say despite that penalties despite those penalties it really was a gutsy gutsy win and it, it is encouraging the rest of the year that they pulled that win off because like how the game started, given the amount of penalties, not the greatest um, performance from the receiving crew. You know, the fact they won that game against a good team in SMU, it was a gutsy win. It was an impressive win, too. Like, they don't play the easiest non-conference opponents like Michigan does, which we'll get to. But, you know, that that's a tough game and can prepare you for Big Ten. But it's good they pulled off a gutsy win in an ugly, ugly game because they're going to have some more ugly game moving forward. Fact that they have proved them to themselves and everyone else, they can they can win an ugly game. It was an impressive win, despite all that those things that we talked about. Yeah, Loxley said he treated it like a Big Ten game, and yesterday, him, Dante Trader, and Kim Jarrett all said we wouldn't have won that game last year if to given that adversity. So maybe this team's different. Who knows? I mean, we'll find out Saturday. Give, giving you the segue here, Sam, to the Michigan matchup. Yes, nothing like a good segue on on this podcast. Um, yeah, so let's get into the Michigan matchup. Um, Maryland is heading on the road to Ann Arbor to face the Michigan Wolverines, the defending Big Ten champions, the number four team in the country at the moment. The line, according to DraftKings, is 17 in Michigan's favor. Um, Michigan, Maryland hasn't beat Michigan since 2014. It's been a long time. Not only have they not beat Michigan, they have been dominated by Michigan in every in every facet. Um, I, th- I believe they've been outscored over that time period by over 200 points in like six meetings. It's correct? Been bad. It's been very bad. I'll, I'll get the exact numbers. I wrote it down somewhere. So the like Michigan, Michigan has owned Maryland. There's really no other way to put it. This is the best team Maryland's probably had though in that time. Most talented team that they faced. Um, and Michigan, you know, they're number four in the country, but they've lost a lot of that is because of their success last year. They lost a lot on the defense. Um, they have a new starting quarterback. It's J.J. McCarthy. Cade McNamara Mc, Mc, was on the bench, but he's out with a leg injury anyway, or some injury anyway. So he's not even won't even be available for that game. So it's J.J. McCarthy starting at quarterback for Michigan, and they've played as bad of opponents as you possibly can play. So there's not the really a lot to say. I've ever seen yeah, from the elite team. Yeah, you can go in on their non-conference schedule. 
it's it doesn't make any sense. I mean, how are how are you coming off a, a college football playoff appearance and you get everyone excited about Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn? I mean, Hawaii and UConn are two of the worst teams in the entire FBS. It, I don't want to go on, on a huge rant about it, but it it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, this this schedule, it's an abomination. Yeah, there's no there's no other way to put it. It's a joke of a non-conference schedule. But that also may play to Maryland's favor. And I like it is a joke of a non-conference schedule, but at the same time, they have a grueling uh conference schedule and they know like if they if they win at win in the conference, they still are gonna have a very if they win out in the conference, they're gonna make the college football playoff. If they only lose to Ohio State in the conference, they have a very they still will have a shot of making the college football playoff. So I like yes, I get playing horrible teams in the non-conference because you know if you do have a loss in non-conference it's pretty much no shot going into big 10 that you're going to make the make the playoff but at the same time it doesn't really prepare you well for for the the gauntlet of the big 10 and that, and that starts with a good maryland team like hawaii colorado state connecticut you said it three just absolutely atrocious teams that michigan handled but I, like how does that play to maryland's favor because i like this is Michigan's first real test. This is by far the best team that Michigan will have faced all, all season so far. So, like, how does that play to Maryland's favor, the fact that they really haven't played any decent opponent? Yeah, um, I have that number for you, by the way. 261 to 59 in the last six matchups between Maryland and Michigan. Over 200 points, like you said. But, yeah, it could play to Maryland's favor, given the fact that Michigan hasn't played anyone. Maryland kind of – this is the prime time for Maryland to play Michigan on the road – on their schedule, they're kind of come. Maryland's coming off a battle of its own against a team that many views top 25, top 30, one of the best teams in the group of five to play a team that many views at top five. They haven't played anyone. They haven't really been tested at all. If Maryland can go in there, score the ball first, they can, you know, rattle Michigan a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to win the football game, but I think it, it makes sense. Your point that they can catch Michigan off guard being, you know, the most talented team by far that Michigan has faced so far. And, and Michigan is fourth and they made the playoff last year. You talked about their defense. They only bring back four starters, their defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald is now the Ravens defensive coordinator, but there's still uncertainty. Like I, you look at the stats and you know that, you know, Michigan's top four in points allowed per game and, and scoring per, and excuse me, and yards allowed per game. To me, I'm I'm not really taking much away from that yet. I understand Michigan's always got a pretty good defense, but like we mentioned, their non-conference schedule was a joke. Maryland and Maryland is one of the best offenses in the country that people you know are talking about. It one of the best in the Big Ten at least. Um, so it'll be interesting. Maryland, I think, is second in the nation in yards per play behind Alabama. Don't hold me to that. It's somewhere in that realm though. So Maryland does have a chance to you know catch Michigan off guard, given that it's it's a big change in in, in opponent for Michigan. Yeah, and the over-under is listed, according to DraftKings, at 65 and a half. Um, so, again, again, a high total where a lot of points are going to be expected. Um, I think Maryland's offense is going to have um, their best game, maybe not yards-wise or, or touchdown-wise, because it'll be hard to beat Charlotte just based on their poor opponent. But given the competition, I think Maryland's offense is going to have a, a very solid game. Um, we'll get to score predictions, but I do think that Maryland's going to be able to move the ball. I think the wide receiver is going to come out and play better. Um, you know, I think this is a really important game for the offensive line because, yes, Michigan Michigan lost a lot of guys from last year, including Aiden Hutchinson, but they still do have a, a good pass rush. Um, I, I think 
This is a good test for Maryland's offensive line that's been called the most improved unit on the team, especially coming off, you know, a lot, we talk a lot, of those, a lot of those penalties. A lot of those penalties were on the, the Maryland offensive line, so I think they have a lot to prove this week, and I do think they're going to have a good performance against Michigan um, in the run game, but also in protecting Talia. So I think Talia's going to have a good game. I don't expect him to turn the ball over too much. He might have an, an interception here or there, but um, I think he's going to have a pretty pretty good game. And I think Maryland scores points, especially early, like you said, because you know this is a noon kickoff. Yes, it's on the road. Obviously, it'll be a packed house in the big house. Uh, ben and I will be there. We will be in Ann Arbor for this one. Um, not that that has any impact on the game, but I just I mean, wanted to let might. people know. Not, not listeners know. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to let people know we will be there. Um, but so I, I think Maryland's going to come out and maybe throw the first punch or, or get a few punches in early. And I think they're going to make this competitive game, at least in the first half, uh, maybe wake up this Michigan team that again, hasn't faced any, any decent competition so far this season on the other side of the bowl, you know, it's like JJ McCarthy. It's hard to really know like what he's the type of quarterback he is just because again, he's really, he didn't start the first game. They gave that to Cade McNamara and then he started the next two games and obviously put up monster performances, but it was weak opponents, weak competition. So if this is his first test, real test too, who knows? Obviously he got the starting job because he's really talented and there's a lot of buzz about him. This is his first game against the against the secondary that is really confident right now. They're playing great football off, again, another great, um, a, a good SMU performance. So th- that's a confident uh, group, especially how that second half and fourth quarter went uh, in the SMU game. So I, I, this is all, this, I don't really know how this game is going to go. But I will say that I expect Maryland to be able to put up points uh, easier than they did last year against Michigan, certainly, but easier than people might even expect to. Right. I mean, I don't want to make any extreme conclusions on, on Michigan defense on Michigan's defense. I know their their stats are, you know, up there with the best in the country right now. And I kind of said that I don't really want them to, you know, I don't I don't want to overvalue their defense given that, uh, given who they played. But at the same time, I, I think we also have to respect Michigan's defense, given, you know, even if they only have four starters back, it's still Michigan and they lost their defensive coordinator. But they still have four guys who started last year. It's still a, a, a very talented defense. Guys that are, you know, likely composed of, of four and five star recruits. Um, but on the offensive side of the ball, Sam, like you mentioned, will be interesting to see JJ McCarthy really, you know, run that that pro style offense they have over there now that uh Kate is injured and and you know, he earned the job, uh, JJ, but now it's it's really his job. There's there's no real threat at all. Um, so it will be interesting to see what he can do. Uh, I think he's 30 for 34 this year. He's been nearly flawless, but like we said, haven't, haven't played anyone. Still have Blake Corum, Ronnie Bell, uh, AJ Henning, some experienced weapons coming back into the fold for them. Um, so not, I mean, Michigan's offense is going to be very good and it's going to be another big test for, for Maryland's defense. It'll be different from the sense in SMU where they're, they're not, you know, running up to the line every five seconds and they're running 96 plays. You'd hope that's not the case for Maryland. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is it's it's the Michigan Wolverines. They're they're number four for a reason. Even if we don't think they're number four, they're still you know top fifteen team floor in the country probably. So it's yeah. it's a really big test. I do want on record that I do think this Michigan team at the end of the year is a two loss team. Um, certainly one to Ohio State. I don't think there's any chance they beat Ohio State the last week of the season. I could see them losing to maybe Penn State, Michigan State, uh, one of those teams uh, towards the end of the season as well. 
But I, I, do, I do think this Michigan team won't be close to that number four ranking by the end of the year. Um, but here's the thing with this Maryland game and this Maryland team. Like, they have nothing to lose. Like, last week, we called that kind of a must win for bowl eligibility. You had to take care of the non-conference when you have such a hard Big Ten schedule. But Maryland's going to Ann Arbor on the road. There's not a soul in the world maybe except inside that Maryland locker room. But other than that, there's not a soul in the world that thinks Maryland has a chance to win this game. Um, They have nothing to lose. So they're going to play like it. And when you have the talent that Maryland has, and they're a really talented group, when you're playing like you have nothing to lose, it could be dangerous. you know. And and I think Maryland's going to surprise some people just based off the performance they're going to have. I'm not saying they're going to win the game. We'll get to our score prediction. But I think Maryland's going to shock people of how, how well they can compete. And we talk about closing the gap. Right. How many times have Loxley mentioned closing the gap and just and what that looks like in, among the best teams in the Big Ten to Maryland? And that's Michigan State, really the Big Ten East, but Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Closing the gap isn't necessarily beating those teams. That would be eliminating the gap, really. Closing the gap is showing you're competitive against these teams, which Maryland hasn't been able to do at all. They got blown out by Michigan. They usually always get blown out by Ohio State. Michigan State has had easy time with them, except for 2020 COVID year. Penn State um, has really dominated them. And it's really been not competitive games for the most part, even though last year Penn State Maryland was competitive until the fourth quarter. It really hasn't been competitive games for the most part. So closing that gap is showing that you are competitive. You have the talent. You're recruiting the talent that's on par with these programs, even if you don't win because of how more talented they are just because they're established. But I think that's important too, showing people that they're competitive. This team is real and this team is legit. It's not the normal get off to a good start, uh, then you know spiral and, and end up with a 500 or worse record like a lot of Maryland fans like to reference and, and maybe expect. You got to show people this is a much better Maryland team that's, that's going to do some damage in the Big Ten, even if they don't beat a, good Mich- a great Michigan team. And... I think a lot of the people that I've talked to have kind of gone under the assumption that if, if they're competitive and they cover the spread, the game's a success more or less. Um, and, you know, taking that next step is obviously easier said than done, giving the caliber of, you know, the big 10 East and that you're going to play two of those four games on the road every single year. Um, but yeah, I, I think the only reason you can say um that this team is different from that 3-0 start. We can't say it yet. You have to go out on there on the field and prove it, and we'll definitely know on Saturday and, and, and the coming weeks against Michigan State um, if that you know statement's for real or not. Yeah, and we and obviously we'll find out. Um, like I said, I think this game is going to be more competitive than people think. Do we want to do our score predictions, though? Uh yeah, I'm I'm good for my score prediction. Not gonna right. not gonna back away after after three weeks. Um, especially after you know getting that score prediction exactly right against Charlotte. I'm not gonna let that. You one gotta tap that on every podcast. Huh? Every podcast, you know, because because even if I if they make a bowl game and I got one for thirteen this year, at least I still got that exact. You got, score you got Charlotte for the rest of your life. Uh, exactly. But uh, for this game, uh, kind of some keys on my end. Uh, discipline is is number one. We we went into it extensively earlier in the show. Maryland can't commit more than eight penalties, or they have no chance to you know be competitive in this game. In my opinion, uh, I think discipline's one. I think pass defense is another. JJ McCarthy really has an electric arm. Uh, Five star quarterback this is going to be his first big test uh, at Michigan starting uh, this season. 
Um, so the defense has got to hold. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, Brian Williams scheme send more than three guys to the quarterback. Uh, we kind of saw that a lot against SMU and, and it hurt the Terps and even third and long situations. Um, and then just the offense, you know, Talia has to be Talia. Um, he's, he's really done a good job of, of staying within himself this season, um, scrambling out of the pocket, not making any stupid turnovers for the most part. Um, he's just got to continue to make start smart decisions. And if he does, I think Maryland will be competitive. However, um, I think it's, it's, it's a lot to ask for this Maryland team. That's never, you know, had any experience going on the road into an electric environment against a, a top five team, regardless of, of, you know, opinions. The fact is that they're the number four team in the country, uh, according to the Associated Press. I think it's going to be really hard for this Maryland team to, you know, overcome history and, and beat Michigan. Um, given, you know, the fact that they've been outscored 261 and 59 in the last six meetings, you know, obviously the guys change every year. And, you know, the players do remember the outcome from last season. But um, I will say that I think Michigan wins and covers. I don't think it'll be as uncompetitive as some, as some of the past Maryland-Michigan games have been. But I don't think the game will be within reach uh, towards the end of the third quarter. Um, give me uh, Michigan 45, Maryland 20. So I got Michigan covering the spread. And I guess the under is hitting by half a point in that situation. So you got Michigan winning by 25. 25 points. Correct. Okay. Um, a couple points here. First, the discipline. Um, Michigan's one of the least penalized teams in the Big Ten and, and the entire country. If there's a huge discipline discrepancy um, or penalty discrepancy, really, Maryland might lose the game by 50 points, um, especially given what we saw last week. I don't expect that to happen. I do expect that that is really what they're hammering all week in practice. Um, so I do expect it to be cleaned up. Certainly, in some of the stupid, like unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, I don't expect those to happen again. So, I do think that's cleaned up. Um, I think we're gonna we're gonna see a good performance from Talia, a really solid performance. You know, when you talk about Talia and taking the next step in his game, it's being great. We've seen him be great against teams they're supposed to beat. It's being great against great defenses, and we have we've seen him be solid. Uh, you know. I think he was better in that Ohio State game last year than people give him credit for. Maybe the numbers even say, but I I don't think we've seen him be great against great defenses for the most part. This is a good test for him, and I I kind of expect him to be um really I expect him to be great. I'm not saying they're gonna he's gonna lead them to victory, but I expect him to have 300 plus yards. I think the wide receiver group is gonna have a bounce back game. I think Maryland's gonna be able to put up points, um, but I do think that Maryland's defense is not going to be able to contain Michigan's offense. You know, Loxley said uh, yesterday, he was like, well, he said they have nothing to lose. But he also said, you know, we're, we're going to bring him everything I got for three, we got for three quarters. And hopefully it's a, it's a game in the fourth quarter. And then you never know what can happen. I do think it's a competitive game for three quarters. And I see Michigan kind of pulling away, but I do think it's, you know, in the first half, it's like, okay, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of people thinking watching that game, can Maryland actually do this? Can Maryland actually do this? And here's the thing. Maryland's going to have to play a perfect game. That's that's on the penalty side. That's in terms of uh, no turnovers offensively, winning the turnover battle defensively. Maryland's going to have to play a perfect game to, uh, to, to win. I don't see them playing a perfect game, but I do think they're competitive. I got 30, what did I just have? My, uh, 40 to 27 Michigan. It's going to be a close game within a touchdown game for three quarters. Michigan pulls away in the fourth quarter. I got 40 to 27. 
I do have Maryland covering. And what do I have on this? And I have the under hitting. Oh, no. No, no, no. I have the over hitting if it's 40 to 27. Yeah. Over barely hitting. And I have Maryland covering. All 40 right. to 27. We got opposite picks, except for the uh, the winner. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were due, we were due for that. I think, I think we did. Oh uh, no, we did on the over under for a couple other games. Yeah, I mean, look, like I think there's, I think there's a lot. Of, I think there's some belief more though so than the years past from Maryland fans that they might be able to do this or make this competitive. And I really think there's belief in Maryland's locker room that they're just as talented as Michigan, and there's no reason they can't do this. Mm-hmm. I think, I think part of maybe my. Uh, issue with the pick is I've just been watching for too long and, and I'd sometimes I let history get the best of me when I make these decisions maybe the talent gap is you know closer than we think but I also think part of that also has to do with Michigan not playing a soul this season and, and we don't really know much about them yet so I'm, I'm going more more you know recent history based here um, and kind of trend picks than actually you know given what Michigan has provided because I'm going to go another non-conference schedule again what a joke I mean it, it just doesn't make any sense to me but Yep, there you go. Yeah, well, well, again, we'll be in Ann Arbor. It's, regardless, it should be a good game. And, and Maryland, you know, they had a test last week, but this is Maryland's first Big Ten test. And, you know, you couldn't really play a better team in the Big Ten. Um, hopefully it's competitive. Hopefully we have a good Fox noon kickoff. Um, we'll Josh see. Johnson on the call. Yes, back from a uh, little brief Thanks. illness. Yes. What? Yeah. I, think he, I think he had to leave the second half of last did, week. Yeah, but apparently he will be back yeah. for this game in Ann Arbor. Should, hopefully it's a good one. We'll see. 17 is a lot of points. I think Maryland covers. Ben does not. Regardless, we hope we have a competitive game. Maryland maybe gives fans some hope for the rest of the way. And especially next week, the week after, I mean, against Michigan State at home. You know, if it's competitive, people might believe that Maryland could beat Michigan State at home. And yeah. there may be more juice around that game. They more be more more of a packed house than we saw against SMU. I'm not going to bring up the fans, but it's a whole nother thing. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Um, I'm hoping it's a competitive game Saturday. We're making the the drive out to Michigan. So I'm, I'm hoping we're not going there for uh for a 56 to nothing dud. But, uh, and then you make a, a very good point about next week too. I think that the, the number leaving Michigan state's name after, you know, that embarrassment they had at Washington last week might take a little bit of juice out of it, but, you know, if Maryland can stay competitive, you got the script uniforms. First game in CQ Stadium, October first. CQ should be, shout uh, out should CQ be interesting, Stadium. but you know that's that's a problem for next week. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. But what Ben's referencing is is it's no longer Capital One Arena at Maryland Stadium. I mean, should we even talk about it? But Maryland signed a uh, Maryland signed a, a deal with CQ, um, which is a local bank, I believe, uh, for eleven million dollars for ten years. Uh, it's going to be a new stadium called CQ Stadium. That's where you're going to watch Maryland football now. And two and a half million of that will be going to the basketball practice facility. That's the notable um, thing there. Yes, as long as, which, as long as that facility gets built finally, then 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 the partnership which, is worth it. Yes, which has been in the works apparently for a while, but it's finally really getting the funding it needed and it's being built. Again, Maryland basketball, one of the only or maybe the only uh, powerhouse program or big big five conference program. Um, that does not have its separate practice facility. I think it was so, one of two. Yeah. Which is a joke, but all uh, right. we can get into well, that another time. Yeah, we'll get into that another time. All right, well, everyone, thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week and then give you a full recap of Maryland, Michigan, and then preview Maryland, Michigan State. Thanks for listening, everybody.